good morning once again. We welcome you here to Alger Assembly of God. Many of you are with us right here in person. Some of you watching or listening online. This is our series entitled DNA who we are. We've looked at some core values. We've looked at the vision statement. Uh, I want to encourage you one last time because this is going to be kind of our final message in this series. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and to recite that vision statement with me. Are you ready? We are committed to helping people belong, believe in, become a, and build his Whose kingdom? His. Build his kingdom. So we've looked at some of those things. Again, we spent a a number of weeks in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to invite you back to Acts chapter 2, looking at some of the purposes and looking at some of those strategies. What was the early church involved in? They were devoting themselves to God and to each other, connecting. They were growing spiritually, devoting to the teaching of the Word of God. They were serving. They were ministering and meeting needs. We talked about that last week. We're called to serve, not called to sit. So we'll take a look one final time, at least for this particular study, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, we once again read, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that powerful? That last sentence, look at it one last time. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Ultimately, that means that there are more and more and more people reached with the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, certainly there was maybe an excitement or an energy based on their devotion or based on their unity or based on some of the generosity and service one to another. Nobody would know all that God was doing in their midst if it was not shared outside of their midst. There was what you might call a sharing. You could call it outreach. You could call it witnessing. You can call it evangelism. You could simply say that they went and shared and communicated the good news about Jesus Christ. So this morning, we want to examine why is reaching our world, why is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those around us so important? I'm going to invite you to Luke chapter 15. We're going to touch on several stories Jesus told, one of which we examined in details in that series, Stories Jesus Told. But there's three stories of lost items. Anybody ever lost something? Say yes, you probably have, right? Speaking of lost items, the boss of a big company needed to call one of his employees about an urgent problem with one of the mainframe computers. So he dials up the employee's phone number, and he was greeted with a child's whispered answer of, Hello. 
The boss asked, is your daddy home? Yes, whispered the small voice. May I talk with him, the man asked. And to the boss's surprise, the small voice whispered, no. We said, well, is there someone else that I could talk to? Is your mommy there? Yes, the little boy said. Well, may I talk with her? Once again, the little boy said, no. We said, is there anyone else besides your mom or your dad that I could talk to? And the little child said, yes, a policeman. Oh, well, then can I talk to the policeman? And once again, the little boy said, no, the policeman is busy. Hmm. Well, busy doing what, the boss asked. And, and the little boy said, well, he's talking to daddy and mommy. Oh, and the fireman. Well, now the boss is growing concerned. He's not letting him talk to anybody. There's a fireman there. There's a policeman there. And just then he hears through the phone what sounds like a helicopter getting closer. So he says, well, what in the world is that noise? And the little boy said, a helicopter. Alarmed, the boss nearly shouted, what's going on there? And the little boy answered, oh, the search team just landed in the helicopter. And the boss, his mind is blown. He says, well, why is the search team and the helicopter and the firemen and the policemen all there? And there's a pause and a muffled giggle as the little boy finally confesses. They're looking for me. I don't think that's quite the game of hide and seek that the, the parents were hoping for with him. But in Luke chapter 15, not that kind of hide and seek, but Jesus tells some stories about the lost. I want to take a brief look at each of these three stories, looking at some brief principles about why the lost is so important to Jesus. So the first story is about a shepherd and some sheep. And what we see is that every person matters to God. Check it out. Luke chapter 15, and we'll jump down to verse 4. Jesus tells the story. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. He calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in that same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. What's he saying? He's saying every person matters to God. I mean, think about it. There's a hundred sheep, only one's missing. But what's the odds that that missing sheep finds his way back to the shepherd all by himself? Probably not very good. It's been said by many that sheep are not necessarily the brightest of animals. Now, there's been all kinds of TV shows and movies about all kinds of animals. Uh, you, you think about dolphins. Dolphins are known to be rather intelligent creatures, right? How about that show, been years and years ago, Flipper? 
How about dogs? I mean, dogs are immortalized in Lassie and Beethoven and even in the Disney series, Dog with a Blog, the dog who types. For cats, I mean, even in cartoons and beyond, it's Garfield. For horses, Black Beauty, Mr. Ed, Seabiscuit. I mean, beautiful horses, right? How about spiders are even in it? Charlotte's Web, anyone? Spiders are immortalized. Lions. You got the Lion King in cartoon and in, you know, somehow live action. Pigs. Pigs have their own movies, right? Babe and Gordy, maybe some other ones. Now check it out. Even rats and rodents have got their own movies, right? Stuart Little, Ratatouille, yeah. So all of these animals, but I'm, I'm a little stumped. Maybe there is, but I'm not sure that there's a TV show, a series that tends to highlight the smartest ever animal, the sheep. The sheep's hope is for the shepherd to seek and search and find and bring him home. Why? Because that one lost sheep matters. Yeah, I mean, I've got a hundred of them, but the shepherd loves and cares about every single one. If one's lost, he wants to find that lost sheep. He's going to leave the 99 and seek it. It doesn't really matter how it got lost or why it got lost. The issue is it's lost. The shepherd wants to find it. Now, as the shepherd goes out, certainly there's a lot of thoughts crossing through his mind. But what the shepherd does, he simply wants that sheep back. He's not got all of these things in his mind. We might be tempted. If you're not a shepherd and you don't have the heart for the sheep, we might be tempted to say, oh, stupid sheep. What are you thinking? Can't you be more careful? Can't you stay in the pen? Can't you stay with all the other ones? Didn't you know that this path was narrow? Didn't you know that the way was steep? Didn't you know there might be wolves around? Didn't you know leaving could get you into trouble? Instead, you, you've got kind of that picture in your mind about the shepherd who seeks after. And as Jesus says, as he finds it, he would joyfully put it on his shoulders. Not yell at it all the way home. Dumb sheep. Made me miss my favorite show tonight. No, he would rejoice that what was lost is now found and on his shoulders. There's love and compassion for the lost sheep. One pastor said this, you will never lock eyes with anyone who does not matter to God. So I want you to look, look forward. Now turn around and look behind you. Find somebody behind you. Now look to your left. Look to your right. Every single person you've locked eyes with, or maybe it's been the back of their heads as you've looked, you're not going to find anyone in here, in your home, in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your community that God doesn't care about. Every single person matters to God. And not just today because it's Sunday. On Monday, everybody matters to God. 
Tuesday as well. Wednesdays are good too. Thursday, Friday, even Saturdays. Everybody you encounter on a Saturday matters to God. Everybody in Alger matters to God. Everybody in Ada matters to God. Everybody in Dunkirk, Dola, Herod, McGuffey, Forest, Bell Center, Kenton, Lima, you name it, you call it out. Every single person matters to God. It's not just most of the people. It's all of the people. It's not just most of the sheep the shepherd was caring about. It's all of the sheep. Every person matters to God. Well, then Jesus right away tells a second short story, a second parable to encourage us that every person, not just do they matter to God, every person is valuable to God. Check it out the next several verses in Luke chapter 15, verse 80 says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Now, as Jesus is telling the story and he says, suppose, his listeners are probably saying, no way. I mean, in our day and age and culture, you know, we're thinking about coins. We, we received a BGMC offering. We said, hey, if you got some coins in your pocket or purse, you know, dump it out. And maybe as you did, you might have had one or two or three coins fall out of your pocket or purse and roll around on the floor. Depending on what it was, it might not have been that big of a deal to you. In the parking lot, in a shopping center, in, in a grocery store, don't you see pennies? Dimes, quarters, nickels. You rarely see bills, but sometimes you do. But coins? Yeah, I mean, what's a penny? You need 99 of those plus a McDonald's coupon to get an iced coffee on sale. So, I mean, you're probably going to leave the penny there. But this coin, particularly women in Middle Eastern culture, it would be rare to lose the coin. They were rare and valuable in the agrarian cultures. It said in the story that she had 10. Some of the Bible scholars might look at this speculating this could have been her wedding dowry. So this is not just a handful of pennies from the bottom of her purse. These would have been some valuable coins, more than likely. Some of the married women, scholars would say, they use that for jewelry, wear it around their neck or a headdress. But it's not just any coin. He says, suppose a woman has 10 these are special and valuable coins and loses one. You ever lost something valuable? A number of years ago, quite a few years ago now, Kim lost her wedding ring. And it was, it was one of those situations. It was crazy. Uh, we were uh, in Lima ministering there. She had, I think, worked. She had gone to the store, came home, put groceries away, getting ready and settled in in the house and... No wedding ring on her finger. Now, you would get a little antsy. You would get a little frantic, right? So what do you do? You, you retrace your steps. I, I think, you know, we drove back to the store, called the store. Has anybody seen a wedding ring? I think I was in this aisle. I think I was in this checkout line. No, nobody had heard that. She's retracing her steps, maybe back to work. And, oh, nobody had seen the ring. Of course, I'm, I'm getting frantic there with her. So, you know, in, in the coming days, I'm searching eBay and I'm looking at Craigslist and, you know, 
Facebook Marketplace wasn't quite a thing back in, in that day, but I'm scouring it. I'm looking at newspapers, seeing if anybody's trying to pawn a wedding ring, right? I'm, I'm, I don't know what I would do if I found them. Not too big and bad and tough, but boy, I'd have, I'd have called somebody. And we're looking and we're looking. It, it was no doubt weeks. In fact, it was around the, the winter time. It was February, and we had a, uh, a Valentine's Day banquet at church. And so, in the meantime, you know, we did not have this wedding ring, and so Kim wore what we'd call one of the promo rings. Gotten a couple of those over the years. You know, they're kind of the inexpensive rings, like a hundred dollar ring that they sell you for twenty or thirty dollars, so that you come in and hopefully you browse and buy the thousand dollar ring along with it. We call that a promo ring. And so she was wearing like a $20 or $30 ring in her wedding ring place. And in this uh, Valentine's Day banquet, the, the guest speaker was a, a pastor who dressed in character. And this particular banquet, he was a jeweler. And he was talking about all the descriptions of diamonds, the cut and quality and carity and, and all of that. And then, you know, basically was going to refer to how God sees us and, you know, we're kind of like those diamonds. And so he connected with pastor early on to see about, you know, couples who could maybe take a, a little bit of a good-natured ribbing. So, of course, we were mentioned. And so he came over and, and he asked to see Kim's wedding ring finger which was the $30 promo ring. And, oh, he goes on and on, in a sense, poking fun at and, and what a you know, pitiful ring it is. And it couldn't do any better than it. He's, I mean, he's laying it on thick, and everybody's laughing and laughing. And we're like, yeah, there's kind of a reason, but that's not when you stop to interrupt and tell. I mean, he went on and on all the way through the entire session. We get done, and... Then pastor fills him in. Oh, by the way, she lost her wedding ring. Uh, that was her just $30 promo ring. And then he felt bad. It's weeks later. I believe on a Wednesday night. Wednesday tends to be frozen pizza night for us. She reaches into the freezer to pull out a frozen pizza. And she notices that the pizza box is crooked. And so she lifts up the pizza box, and underneath the pizza box is her wedding ring. It was in the freezer the entire time, I think. In the cold, you know, your, your rings are not, they're a little, your, your fingers get a little thicker in the, the summer, you know, as it's warm. And, and then, you know, kind of slide off your, your fingers a little bit more when it's cold. So as she put it in and must have, as she pulled her hand out, that ring stayed there. It was in the freezer for weeks, maybe a month. Perfect condition. But we were frantic and searching every which way. By this time, I mean, I'm not sure if I'd gone to the pawn stores, but I mean, I was looking at newspapers. I was looking everywhere to try to find it. So in Jesus' story, here's the woman with these coins. Ten coins might have been part of her dowry, would certainly have been valuable, would not have just been like a penny in our pocket. Jesus says... Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. And we were saying the same thing to friends and family and our pastor and others. Hey, found the, found the wedding ring. No longer have that promo ring on her finger. 
Jesus said, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Very similar. Uh, same thought was in the first story. Same thought here in the second story. There is rejoicing when even one person surrenders their heart to Christ. Why? She sought after the coin because it's valuable. Not just does the person matter. He's saying every person is valuable to God. So the question for you then is, do you feel valuable? Do you feel valuable? If not, why not? Chances are, if you don't feel valuable, it's because maybe we don't feel we have what's high and mighty in the eyes of the world. Here's what author Stephen Arterburn writes. He says, Too often we base our self-worth on what the world views as valuable. The world thinks money is a barometer of value. And if we do not have it in great amounts, we might feel bad about ourselves. Physical beauty has almost become a religion unto itself. Those without it feel no value in a society that judges by looks on the outside. And in this age of technology, IQ is often used to determine who is to be esteemed and who is to be shown the basement. So he's saying money looks smarts. If we feel we're a little short in any of those categories, maybe we don't feel so valuable. Understand, a lot of the people that we see Jesus interacting with might have been some people like that who didn't feel the most valuable. Think about John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery. What was she feeling like? Or in John chapter 5, the crippled man Jesus healed as he simply spoke to him at the pool. Or how about the blind man in John chapter 9? He healed him with the whole spit and dirt miracle. Or the demon-possessed man who was chained hand and foot in Mark chapter 5. Or the widow who had lost her son that Jesus raised from the dead in Luke chapter 7. Or the ten lepers who were outcasts Jesus healed in Luke chapter 17. There are a lot of people who Jesus met and interacted with who mattered to God, who he saw as valuable. They might not have seen themselves that way based on any one of these or more categories. Before their connection, before they met Jesus, probably didn't feel too valuable. After meeting Jesus, his love, his care, and certainly the miracles... Man, they probably felt priceless. So the question for you and I, what do we think of or what do we think that God sees when he looks at us? What does he see when he looks at us? And we're not quite sure how to answer that because, you know, on the one hand, we want to be positive, but not too positive. And so we don't want to be too high on ourselves. But we also don't want to be too negative about ourselves. What would he say about you? Sometimes we might have a hard time answering that. I'll put it to you this way. Would you clear out your bank account? Whatever's in it. $5, $500, $5,000, $5 million. If 
You've got that in your bank account. Let's talk. No. Would you clear out your bank account for this outer assembly of God pen? I see some of you immediately, you glance to the chair in front of you. You're like, no, pastor, I'll just steal the one right here in front of me. Some of you have. (laughs) We keep losing pens. I mean, this is a nice pen to Bic. You know, the click stick. It's a nice little pen. It's got the logo on it and everything. It's probably not the most value. You see, things and value is determined by the price people are willing to pay. And because there's several in every single chair in front of you, and because they're floating around, we've used these for a number of years, chances are you might have a handful of them in your purse and at home they've just wandered off and, you know, it's really not that valuable to you. But when there's one of something and it's rare, it becomes pretty valuable. If you're a sports fan, not not all of you are, but in baseball, there's been some pretty historic home run chases. Now, I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan, and uh, Albert Pujols was with us for a number of years. Then he was gone. He came back one final year, one of the best hitters ever in baseball, and he was chasing home run number 700 in his entire career. He's fourth on the all-time baseball list. And so every home run that people are catching, it's valuable. And, you know, they want to get number 700 and they want to get his last one. And then Aaron Judge, he plays for the New York Yankees. Might not like them, but he was chasing. He he had 50-some home runs. And the American League record was Roger Maris, 61, back 61 years ago. And so they were wanting to catch home run number 60 and home run number 61 and home run number 62 and... The person who catches this baseball in the game, speculation was, it's not just, I mean, the baseball you can at a store buy a baseball for probably five bucks. Probably no more than ten. But this baseball, if it's a record-setting baseball, we're not just talking tens of dollars or hundreds of dollars, not even thousands of dollars. Some are speculating hundreds of thousands of dollars, potentially up to a million dollars for one of these historic, one-of-a-kind baseballs. It's all the perspective of what somebody is willing to pay. Now, if any of you are willing to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for an Alger Assembly of God pen, I got a whole bunch of them for you. When it comes to the baseball, those home run setting records, there's just one. It's all based on what somebody's willing to pay. What do you think God sees when he sees you? Let me tell you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Hmm. God paid a ransom. God paid a mighty high price. What did he pay? The ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. When's the last time you heard the word mere next to gold or silver? It's just merely gold. It's just merely pure silver. Usually we say, you know, it's mere plastic. It's mere cubic zirconia. The scripture says, 
The price God paid for you because of how valuable he saw you wasn't merely gold. It wasn't merely silver. Verse 19, he paid for you with the precious life blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him for this purpose long before the world began, but in these final days was sent to earth for all to see. And note that last phrase, he did this for you. Say it, he did this for me. That's how he sees me. That's how he sees you, as priceless, as worthwhile. Sometimes we get those flipped, and we take the beginning of one and the ending of the other, and we think of ourselves as worthless. No, no, no. Worthwhile and priceless. That's what he sees of us. You can't get any more precious than that. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. Every person matters to God. Every person is valuable to God. And once again, there's rejoicing in heaven over just one who surrenders to him. Then he tells that third story. And certainly we cover this in detail a number of months ago about the prodigal son. But you see, when he's wanting to kind of emphasize a point, he kind of repeats some things. So three different stories, three lost items, lost sheep, lost coin, and lost son. But the third and final principle I think he's encouraging us is this. God wants everyone to return home. He wants everyone to return home. So from verses 11 to 32, we won't read it. We'll kind of summarize it here in a handful of sentences. We did cover it in detail a number of months ago. The prodigal son, if you remember, he asks his father to divide the inheritance. Before the father passes away, he wants his cut. The father does so. He takes his share of the estate, moves to a foreign land. He squanders his wealth in wild living. Later, he returns home to the father, and he's welcomed home into the family in a pretty surprising way. And briefly, just to review, the father does a handful of things that are considered either literally outrageous or maybe a little bit odd in Middle Eastern culture. So the review of what the father does in this parable, first of all, the father runs to his son. This, he's not wearing running shoes and spandex. He's in sandals and flowy robes. Men in flowy robes in Middle Eastern culture were not running. It was not graceful. It was rather humiliating. He didn't care. He ran to his son. Secondly, he kissed his son. The son's probably picturing in his mind, man, I've messed up, I've blown it, I'm going to come to my dad. Maybe he's thinking he's going to kiss his father's feet, hoping the father treats him maybe even like a servant. But instead of the father being kissed, the father in love and compassion kisses his son. Thirdly, it says that he gives him a robe. And specifically, he gives him the best robe. Perhaps it was even his own. He accepted him. Fourthly, puts the ring on his finger. Not the promo ring. 
Not the $30 promo ring, not even just a, a nice gold ring. This was probably the signet ring, probably what was signed and used for some uh, legal documents. He's saying, not only do I know you, not only do I love you, but son, I trust you. Put sandals on his feet. It's a sign he's a free man and not just a servant. And then he celebrates with a fattened calf. He didn't celebrate with a fattened Cornish hen or a fattened chicken. He brought out the fattened calf because he wanted everyone to celebrate. What was lost is now found. That's why reaching our world is so important. God wants everyone lost to turn to him or to return home. Now, as Jesus is telling the story, and maybe some of you are thinking this or watching or listening online, what's going through your mind is, well, I don't think that's how God sees me. I mean, as, as Jesus is telling the story and he talks about a lost sheep, okay, that's some sheep, dumb sheep. Lost coin, okay, maybe they lost it, but a lost son and a father acting this way? Uh-uh. Not with what I've done. Maybe you think about that. How could God love me? How could he respond to me in that kind of love and compassion? Doesn't he know what my past is like? The past that we try to hide and cover up and gloss over and forget to talk about? Jesus is saying, he loves you. You matter to God. You're valuable to him. God wants you to return home. He welcomes you with loving arms, open arms. Just like the sheep mattered to the shepherd, just like the coin mattered to the woman, just like the son mattered to the father, you matter to God. You're valuable. He paid the price with the blood of his only son, Jesus. He desires for you to turn to him, to return back home. And he wants a celebration. Each and every story, Jesus said, there's rejoicing in heaven over one. Rejoicing in heaven over one. And in the final story, it literally was one. The one son who was lost was now found. He rejoiced. He celebrated. So challenge, the encouragement, the, the DNA. What's the church about? What are we individually to be about? We're to be about what Jesus is about. Reaching lost people who don't know him. Doing something like the shepherd and the sheep, the woman and the coin, the father and the son. Loving the lost, finding the lost, inviting them home. Jesus tells the stories to simply say, every person matters to God. You matter to God. Every person is valuable to him. You are valuable to him. And God wants everyone to turn to or to return home. God wants you to return home. <music> 